heard this story one time about a pastor um, who was doing visitation. And, um, you know, um, visitation is kind of like a weird thing. Um, it's probably not done as much today as it probably used to be at one time because we've kind of become a little bit more in our homes and all that kind of stuff. Not to, doesn't mean that nobody wants to be visited by the pastor, but it just doesn't happen as much. You, and, but, what is, but it does happen sometimes when like maybe there's an issue going on or somebody's sick or something like that. You can have some visitation. So I heard this, I was reading this story one time about this pastor who was uh, doing some visitation and he was visiting some people that were sick, uh, some of the elderly people in the church that had been battling some sickness. And so he was visiting this elderly lady and um, and while he was sitting uh, there next to her bed, as she was kind of laying in bed and stuff, he noticed that there was a bowl of peanuts sitting right next to the desk. So just kind of like being really busy and stuff and everything, he just, you know, decided like, hey, well, while I'm sitting here talking, I'll just, you know, eat a couple of peanuts. And so as they're kind of talking and just kind of having fellowship, he's just eating the peanuts and, you know, just, you know, it's, you know, it's just fidgeting type stuff, whatever. So after a while of kind of visiting and hanging out together, he realized, you know, hey, it was time to go. He needed to kind of get home and stuff. And as he began to leave, he realized that he had basically eaten all of her peanuts there uh, in that bowl. So he, he felt really bad. He said, um, you know, Sister Jones, I'm, I'm really sorry, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I, I, I ate all your peanuts. Um, is, is, can I get you some more? And Sister Jones replied, that's okay, Pastor. I already sucked off all the chocolate off of them. So the lesson is don't eat the peanuts in the bowl by the bed on visitation. That would be, that would be a bad moment for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. That would be a really bad moment for me. I can't, I can't even drink after my own family, much less think about, um, anyways, so, (laughs) for several weeks now, we've kind of been on a a series called, um, the top 10 questions asked about God, and, um, a lot of the information that we've been talking about over the past couple weeks actually comes from a, um, there's a book out that's called Up Faith, uh, by Kevin Myers, and he really kind of goes into a lot more depth, you know, our ability to sit in here for 30 minutes and to talk about things obviously doesn't cover every aspect of what we've, what we've been going over. But uh, one of the things that when you dive into the questions that we've been asking uh, and, and begin to look at the answers, what we find is that all 10 of these questions, all 10 of these questions that are the top ask questions about God when we begin to find the answers and begin to establish clear understanding about these questions, that they actually give us an incredible foundation for maturity and, and spiritual growth and, and really, you know, theological understanding. And so when we, when we think about all of these questions that we've gone over the past couple of weeks, like, is life an accident or does, uh, do I have purpose? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Can I really trust God? Why can't I make my own rules? Why can't God just accept me as I am? Isn't only way to God narrow-minded? And what does it mean to be forgiven? As we, we've looked at 
all of those things, you, begin, you can really see how answering those questions in your life can really give a, a solid foundation as to why you believe the things that you believe. You know, uh, is life and I, can I trust God? The whole issue of, you know, suffering in the world and answering the question, why does suffering exist? And, and why can't I, I do things my own way? Why can't God just accept? All of these questions that we've gone over really begins to establish this firm foundation in us so that we can, you know, have a, have a spiritual maturity and spiritual grounding that we needed um, to know why we believe what we believe and not just like, this is what I believe. All right? And so today we're going to be looking at another one of those questions as we kind of move along. Um, over the, we got two more weeks after this week, which will go into um, uh, who really needs the church and uh, does, uh, does heaven and hell really exist and, and, and kind of answering those questions. We're, we're looking at this, uh, this basically what is the eighth question in the list of top ten uh, questions asked by, uh, about God. It says, why don't Christians look different than everyone else? Why don't Christians look different than everyone else? And I think that, that to be quite honest, this is, a legitimate, this is a legitimate question that unfortunately has to be asked, right? I mean, because... If you think about this being one of the top ten questions asked about God, then that means that there are people out there that are either Christian and beginning to be skeptical, or maybe there are just skeptics out there or non-believers that are out there that have had this question go through their mind, like, what's the big deal about Christianity? What's the big deal about Christians? And if there is such a big deal about Christians, then why is it that they're not different than anybody else? I think, I, you know, over the course of, of my life and just kind of studying and researching and reading books and different, different things like this, um, you know, I remember hearing some of the stories of people in our, in our world who have made a significant impact on our world in the worst way. And these are some of the people who were more often than not shaped by bad experiences with Christians in the Christian church. It's unfortunately, uh, even... Even if I asked here today, like, by show of hands, who here today would say that at some point in your life you've been hurt by people in the church, okay? There would be a whole lot of us in here, including myself, that could raise our hands, saying, yeah, you know what, people have hurt me in the church. I, I even remember reading several years ago a book that was called Surviving the Church, <laughs> Why are we even having to read a book called Surviving the Church is beyond me. But for whatever reason, we have to read those books and we've got to hear those stories and we hear these things. I, uh, one of the people in particular that I remember studying about was Mahatma Gandhi, who was said to have done a major study of every religion in the world and concluded that Christianity was the only one that made sense and added up. But he refused to become a Christian because of the Christians. Right? Um, it even goes on to say that um, after coming to this conclusion about Christianity, he went to go visit a church. And when he went to enter the church, he was told by somebody at the church that his kind was not welcome there. And so... Um, 
this guy obviously, you know, is is more known for his, you know, Eastern, you know, where he kind of combines Buddhism and Islam and even, you know, parts of Christianity together to kind of, um, you know, even, even Marilyn Manson, who is not really somebody that's talked about as much today as maybe, say, 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, was somebody who went to a Christian school all the way up through the 10th grade and finally convinced his parents to take him out of Christian school because of um, the hypocrisy that he saw and the legalism that he saw and the experience that he had with the Christians who were a part of that particular place. And these, these kinds of stories are really are, are everywhere. I mean, you can even... If you want to maybe look at a modern-day example of something like that, you could talk about somebody like Katy Perry, whose uh, parents were pastors, and, and some of the experience that she's had. And, and even if you hear, like, I don't know, if you watch, like, American Idol, which I do from time to time because it's like a religious event. And I'm just kidding. It's not. Um, but, you know, so whenever I just happen to not be doing something else, and, uh, and sitting down, I will watch a little bit of American Idol, but do not take my man card from me because <clears throat> I do not watch The Bachelor Bachelorette. <clears throat> Thank you very much. But anyways, you, you will hear her actually talk about, and, and you almost see, in a sense, maybe some of her upbringing, and, and she actually even mentions some things. But we obviously know that if you listen to any of her music, <laughs> you will know, like, oh, this, this, this girl's really come a long ways. <clears throat> Not in the right way, by the way. Um, and I'm not judging her. I mean, only, only the Lord knows her heart um, and, and where she stands. But it is true, and we're going to get into this here in a little bit, you know, this whole idea of, you know, judging and judging people and stuff like that. I, you know, obviously it's not our place to be the judge. It's not our place to judge other people and kind of some of the situations and circumstances that they're going through in their life. But it, it is important um, that we live a certain way in our life. And this is the reason why this, this question is even posed is why, why aren't Christians, why, are Christ, why don't Christians, um, why aren't Christians different than everybody else? And, um, and so in, in order to talk about this and to think about this particular perspective and this particular question, I think what is important is you've got to look um, at some of kind of... Uh, kind of where we are today. Where, where are we today? And where, are, where we are today is we are what's in called, the, is called the New Covenant. And a couple weeks ago, I don't actually have it available today, it was a, it was a pyramid that kind of went along where uh, it was, you know, Adam and Eve, and then um, it was the flood, and then uh, the, um, the Tower of Babel, and, um, and then you had, you know, Old Covenant, and then you have at the top of it is, is Christ, then it's the new covenant, and then you have, and, and what you see is kind of a flip side, on, you know, almost like the New Testament and Old Testament mirror each other in a way, all right? Um, and so what we have is today is we're in what's called the new covenant. And to be quite honest, the new covenant, it, while it is different than the old covenant, it's not entirely different from the old covenant. Because, like I said, they kind of mirror each other. The two stories mirror each other. So listen to a couple. Of these, listen to these two passages real quick. 
Um, and one's found in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6. It says right here, this is obviously speaking under the old covenant, God talking to his people. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right? This is in Exodus, you know, God speaking and giving a promise to his people. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that it may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. All right? So both of them, both passages talk about God's chosen people. Okay? Obviously in the Old Covenant, okay, God was talking to the nation of Israel, and he was talking about how they were God's chosen people, but that God was going to, you know, bless them and grow them, all these kinds of things. And then in the New Testament, you know, we see under the New Covenant, God is speaking to us, okay, because we live under a different covenant. And you see the storyline that happens in the book of Acts where, where God begins to say it's not just about the Jews, it's not Jews or, or any, it's, it's everybody. Anyone who calls the name of the Lord can be saved, and God begins to bring everybody in. And now everybody who professes Christ as Lord, okay, is, can be called a child of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, okay, that we are the people of God. You are a part of the people of God. And so what happens is, is in order to begin to live like God's chosen people, we have to be changed from the inside out. And this is what God begins to do in the new covenant. Because in the old covenant, what happens is under the old covenant, all it did was God was just covering up the issues that we dealt with on the inside through the sacrificial system. But what Christ did is Christ came and died and he sent his spirit so that we might be changed on the inside. And it's the reason why Jesus says you must be born again because I'm not just going to cover what you're doing on the outside. I want to change who you are on the inside. I want to change your identity. I want to change who you are inside. And so God begins to work in a way where we begin to be changed from the inside out. And the answer for this is transformation, that we become transformed, right? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and prove what God's will is. Okay? So don't conform but be transformed. It doesn't say don't conform to the world, but conform to what God wants you to do. No, you see, what we're talking about here is not confirmation, conforming to something that God be, okay? The answer here is transformation, that God begins to transform us. It, when we conform, we are changing what we're doing on the outside. So I can become a really religious person and know how to do really good religious things and still not be transformed on the inside. Okay, we can become like Pharisees. 
when even Jesus addressing the Pharisees said that they were, you know, uh, dead men's bones, that they, you know, were uh, a brutal vipers. Why? Because what they did on the outside was right, but who they were on the inside was not. So the transformation, okay, the transformation process begins with a new identity. That God establishes a new identity. He makes you a new person. You become born again. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29, it says, Before the coming of this faith in Christ, we were held in custody under the law, looking up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we may be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. Okay? So what has happened here is that Christ has given us a new identity. Okay? That we're no longer, you know, American or Mexican or African or black or white or woman or man or rich or poor or educated or uneducated. None of those things matter anymore. Our identity is found in Christ. That we are His. And that is all that matters in the end. And this is the reason why Paul begins to say these things. That what God wanted to do is he wanted to make you a new creation, a new person. He wanted to, to, to birth a new person on the inside of you so that you become his. That your identity is wrapped up in him. That you're not, you know, a Lawrence anymore, okay? Because say, my, person, my, you know, my person identity is attached to my last name. And my last name says, well, I'm a Lawrence, and I've always been a Lawrence, and the Lawrences have always done it this way, and the Lawrences have it like this, and like this. This is what we do sometimes. Well, this is just the way that I was born, and this is just who I am, and this is just the way it's going to be, and this is the way that we've always done it. And, And what we do is we've allowed our identity to be wrapped up in our last name, or to be wrapped up in our education, or our nationality, or any other thing that we have. And God is saying, your identity shouldn't be wrapped up in any of those things. Your identity should be wrapped up in Him. That you are His. And that is all that really matters. So God begins the transformation process by saying that I'm going to make you a new creation. I'm going to make you new. And the old is going to be gone, and the new is going to come, and you're going to be a new creation. And you're not going to be any of these things because you belong to Christ and by belonging to Christ, you are a seed of an Abraham, and you are heirs according to the promise. Right? So we have been given a new identity. Okay? We've been given a new identity. And we have a responsibility to live our life within that new identity. Within that new identity. All right? So why is it then that we have a hard time struggling to live our life within that new identity that God has given us. And I think one of the things that Jesus talks about here, and, and again, you know, I don't know, we could probably, um, when we ask the question, why, um, why aren't Christians, why don't Christians look different than everyone else? I think that there's, 
There's probably a lot of different reasons why Christians don't look like everyone else. Maybe it's um, a lack of understanding. Maybe it's false conversion. Um, you know, <clears throat> um, you know there's, there's lots of different reasons why things, a lack of maturity, those kinds of things exist. But the problem is, is that, and, and I don't think there will probably ever be a moment as it relates to, you know, our faith in God. So, because, because when, when, when Christ came and set us free and made us new, we became a new creation in, in our spirit, and God didn't change our flesh. So, right, you understand that being born again mean that, means that, that God changes you on the inside, but it doesn't necessarily change you on the outside right away. Like, you still struggle, okay, with your pride. You still struggle with humility, we still struggle with lust and greed and bitterness and anger, okay? We still struggle with all of those things in our life, even though God has made a new identity in us. And every day we wake up, we still have to fight those urges inside of us, is where Jesus says to take up your cross. And so because we are in that particular position, in that place, some of us do a better job of fighting that off than others, right? And I don't think there's ever really going to be a day where... Uh, all the Christians in the world probably look like all the Christians in the world should look like. Now, maybe if you want to take some prophetic messages of Jesus, he says that, hey, in the end times, um, that the wicked will become more and more wicked, and, um, and the people that follow God will become more and more so, right? And, and to be quite honest, it's, you know, I think that even in our world today, in our society and in our culture, we're starting to see it more and more. Um, I, I saw um, a tweet here this week about our country <laughs> that said, um, that said um, I, watched a, I, I, I watched a candidate for the president say on live television this week how our country needs to protect the rights of men who now identify as women to abort their imaginary babies. <clears throat> so it's almost like, in a way... Um, you know, the divide is becoming more and more obvious, right? Probably not so much uh, in the Bible Belt as in other places, um, but it's becoming more and more obvious. But there probably won't ever be a moment in, and this is the reason why we could all raise our hands saying that probably at some point in my life I've been hurt by people in the church. There's not ever going to be a moment where we all become perfect in our life, where every believer, every follower of Jesus is going to have every day figured out of their life and be perfect and not have anything wrong or not do anything wrong or make any poor decisions. Um, but Jesus said this. He said that you will know those who are truly followers of him by examining their fruit, by examining their fruit. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus actually goes on to say this. It says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, and, and again, you know, I could probably pull up a dozen passages that talk about this. If you love me, then you'll obey me. You'll follow me. Um, so this idea that it doesn't really matter how we live. It doesn't matter the decisions that we make. It doesn't matter the things that we choose to do with our life. Um, those things are, are false narratives because it matters a lot to God. It matters a lot. 
and, and even in Romans, it says that God has predestined us for, to become more and more like his son. So God actually wants us to be more and more like Jesus every day that we live. We're to become more and more like Christ. And the way that we do this is by growing in spiritual maturity, all right? That we understand the identity that God has given us, all right? That we are born again. He's created a, a new identity in us. And then through that identity, that we actually can walk in spiritual maturity, that we can grow in spiritual maturity, all right? So let's talk for a second about physical maturity and spiritual maturity, okay? If I'm just to be honest with you today, <clears throat> I'm, just, I'm not a big baby person, okay? I mean, like, they're cute and all, okay? They're cute and all, and I don't mind the pictures and the, oh, let me hold a baby for a little while, okay? And I know that you think, well, you had four of them. I know, <clears throat> okay? And, and it's not like, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm repulsed by babies. I'm just saying, like, I'm just not a big baby person, okay? So, um, but I've, I've spent my time, and I've paid my dues, okay? And I don't have a problem being around babies and, you know, babysitting babies or holding babies or whatever, all that kind of stuff. I don't, there's, there's, it's not like it's uncomfortable for me, so I'm not, not saying that. I'm just saying like that if I had to say it one way or another, I'm just saying like, like I like it when the kids start, the, the, the babies start growing up and becoming a little bit more de- independent, okay? Just like, hey, you know, you can go to the bathroom by yourself now. That's what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? I mean, like, hey, you know, you can get up on a couch without me having to help you or you can go blow your nose without me doing it for you, or, you know, you can walk up and down the stairs, you know, you can walk without falling and me being worried that you're going to bust your head wide open, because I don't know, like, I'm just, I just, I, I don't like, okay, on the flip side, I don't like the smart mouths that come along with the age, <clears throat> all right, and the, uh, like, I know better than you, Dad, because you're an idiot, okay, all right i don't like that but i I like the independence i like the hey i don't have to cater you and watch after you and get you you know a thousand drinks a day and you know look for your stuff because you don't you've lost it i just like hey i like it when they're just a little bit more independent right i mean maybe maybe you would you like it when they're young and they can't talk and you have to do everything for them. That's really not me. Um, and so what happens is, is this is what we do. We raise our children from the time that they're born. Um, and we try to teach them to be independent. Um, and Because this is a really important thing. Some of us do a, a better job than others at teaching our children to become independent. But it's important that our children learn to become independent. Um, so that they can not live with mom and dad forever. <laughs> you know, amen, glory to God. All right? I tell my kids, right, that, hey, your mom and I were together before you came along. We will be together after you leave. You're just passing through. We're just like, <laughs> just kidding. I love you, kids. 
Thankfully, there's only one in here to hear that. We will have counseling sessions later. Uh, <clears throat> no, but we, we want to train them to become independent so that they will understand that that's, that's a part of life, right? I mean, that they're going to grow up and they need to learn responsibility and, and how to be a good adult so that when they go into society, they know independent and they don't become leeches and, and they know how to function well. And I'm, I'm kind of laughing. I shouldn't be because it's really sad. But I, but I want them, I want them to know how to, how to live well and how to, how to take care of themselves and, you know, how to, how to wash dishes and fold clothes and wash their own and sweep the floor. Yeah, I'm not going to do all that kind of stuff for them because I want them to know how to do those. Plus, you know, I just don't want to do it all the time. All right. So, I want them to grow. So a sign of maturity, physical maturity, is that they become independent. That they grow in their independence. Now, there's more to it, obviously, than that, but they need to grow in their independence and, and not be so dependent upon me for everything. But they can grow in independence so that they can grow up and go out and, and live well, okay, without me always having to be there to, you know, knock them over the head when they, 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 they're wise and they make good decisions, all these kinds of things. That's a sign of physical maturity. Well, spiritual maturity is almost like just the opposite of that, okay? Almost like a lot of things in the kingdom of God. A lot of spiritual things work the opposite, right? So, you know, the Bible says that, that, um, before the Lord, and in due time, God will raise you up. Okay, our world tells us to know, fight for your place and your position, and, and go and work your way into you know position and power, prestige, and and promotions, and and all, you know to to be confident, to be strong, and to, and to, to and the the world tells you to promote yourself, to lift yourself up, to promote yourself, to push yourself, to all of these kinds of things. And God says, no, 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 no. humble yourself. Live in humility, walk in humility, and in the right season, right time, I'm going to raise you up, and I will lift you up. God, the, the, the Word of God says that if you want to grow in prosperity, then to grow in generosity, to give. Where the world says that if you want to grow in prosperity, just save, save, and hoard, and, and hold on to, and hold on to all your stuff, and to, and to keep it for yourself. When God says then if you will give, I will give it back to you, and even more, I'll give it back to you. See, God's principles oftentimes work exactly the opposite from the way the world, which, is, which should be pretty obvious, right? I mean, the world's ways are not God's ways. This is another one that, um, this is another area where things work backwards in the kingdom of God. Okay? So physical maturity happens to us when, when we can learn how to become independent and we grow up and can live our life and make good decisions and manage our money well and treat people with kindness and fairness. All right? Spiritual maturity um, works backwards of that. And the more spiritually mature you are, the more dependent you become. Okay? the more dependent you become. And I know that sounds weird, but I'm not talking about dependent on other people. So it's not like you develop a dependence for um, 
a pastor or a certain person or certain people, all right? Um, because that's certainly not what we're talking about here today. <clears throat> it's not dependence on other people. It's dependent upon God and his wisdom and his power, his authority, and all of those things that are there. So the more spiritual, the, the, the more spiritual maturity we have, the more we grow in spiritual maturity, the more dependent we become of, of him and his nature and his character and who he is. If we want to know how spiritual and mature we are, then we, could take, we can take inventory of how connected we are to him, of how dependent we are of God and his word and his presence in our lives. All of those things can be a sign of spiritual maturity. Remember in John chapter 15, verse 5, it says this. It says, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying that in order to walk in spiritual maturity, we have to be connected to the vine. In order to bear much fruit, we have to be connected to the vine. We have to be dependent upon the vine. We're the branches, he's the vine. We've got to recognize that the vine is the most important thing to us. And Jesus, his presence, his word, his power, his authority, his glory, his wisdom, his understanding, all of those things are the most important thing for us as we grow in spiritual maturity. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So the more connected we are to the vine, the more connected we are to him, the greater the ability that we have to walk in the way that Jesus desires us to walk. Remember when Jesus, um, remember when the woman who uh, was caught in adultery and the Pharisees came and, and, and brought her before Jesus, threw on the ground, said this woman was caught in adultery and the old covenant says that we're supposed to stone, stone her. And um, so, I mean, I guess if you've been in church for any period of time, you know Jesus says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And the Bible says that all the Pharisees walked away because they knew they had sin in their life. And in that moment, Jesus uh, looks at this woman who is here, and he tells her to leave her life of sin. Go and sin no more. Right? But one of the things that we don't know is what actually happened to that woman from that particular point. Did she actually stop sinning? Did she actually stop doing what she was doing? How, how do we know? We don't really know. And if she did, how did she go about doing it? Like, how did she go about living the life of purity that Jesus spoke to her in that moment and said, you need to stop living like this? All right? Well, one of the things that we see when, when, when God points his finger at us, when the Holy Spirit points his finger at us and says, this right here doesn't need to be in your life. When he points his finger at us and says, this right here needs to go. Or we know, or we know that maybe I'm living like this or shouldn't be. Um, 
whatever, then what happens is, is that we have to understand that, um, that, that in order to overcome those areas of our life, in order to overcome those areas of our life, we have to become more and more connected to the vine. If you want to overcome lust in your life, the answer is not saying, oh, I'm going to fight it today, I'm going to stop doing it. No, the answer is becoming more and more connected to the vine. If you want to overcome anger in your life, it's not about, just don't become angry, I'm going to count to three. Every time I get, I'm going to count to three. I don't know, there's all kinds of weird things that we do. It's not, because it's not that, it's, it's being more and more connected to the vine. I have found in my life that it's the moments, it's the seasons of my life where I spend the most time with God that I find that I live the most like him, right? Because remember, it's the words of Jesus says that apart from him, you can do nothing. In other words, you're not going to be able to overcome sin in your life by yourself, You're not going to be able to overcome those things that you're dealing with in your life by yourself. You're not going to overcome, you're not going to be able to stop talking the way that you're talking by just saying, oh, I'm just going to get better. No, no, no. You have to become more and more connected to the vine. The answer for living the way that we should live in our life is becoming more and more connected to the vine. Spiritual maturity is defined by being more and more dependent upon God. You want to know how spiritually mature we are? Then determine how, um, how dependent are you of Him. Can you go an entire week without spending time with Him? Can you go an entire month without spending time with Him? That may be hard considering that you've got come to church and like you're in His presence in church, at least I hope you are, or at least you're focused on that particular aspect of church. Right? But... How, how long can you go in your life without spending time with him? And this right here gives us the answer. Like, why is it that Christians are like everybody else? And maybe it's because we've lost our connection. Because how can we be the people that God wants us to be if we're not connected to the vine? If we're not connected to the source, we're not connected to his word, to his presence, if we're not connected in prayer, that we spend time in prayer, that we spend time in his presence, we spend time praying in the spirit. You know, the reason why the Bible says to pray without ceasing not so that you, you know, pray in tongues walking around at your workplace looking like a crazy person. Or that you're walking up and down a grocery store aisle talking to yourself or to some imaginary friend that you have walking with you. It's most certainly not trying to tell us to do that, but the idea of praying without ceasing is keeping this constant awareness of God's presence in your life this constant awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence. You remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about the Holy Spirit, how he's our parakletos, that he comes along to aid us. So when we are connected to the parakletos in our life, this this aid, this helper, okay, then he becomes 
uh, a greater resource of being able to help us walk in, with the integrity that God wants us to walk with. And if we're not doing it, it's because we're not connected to the vine. It may not mean that you're not, uh, that God hasn't done something in you or that you haven't had some authentic relationship encounters with God, but it may mean that we're just not connected to the vine the way that we should be connected. Rob, if you'll come. That we need to be connected to the vine. If you were to read through the, new, through the letters in the New Testament from Romans through Jude, it would become clear that we are being told to get along and take care of one another. It would become clear. You, you read the instructions of God's Word. You read the instructions of, of um, the Word of God going through uh, you know, the New Testament epistles and the writings of Paul and several other the disciples. It would become clear that God is telling us to, um, to get along and to take care of one another. It tells us to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to be at peace with one another, to accept one another, to do not complain against one another, to serve one another, to be devoted to one another in love. All of these things are things that can be found throughout the Scripture as it relates to how we treat one another. And the way that we grow in God's love and the way that we grow in spiritual maturity is by becoming more and more connected to the vine. That it's the vine that changes us. It's His presence that changes us. So what God did was that He created a... He, he made us new on the inside and He wants to change us from the inside out. And it's not a conforming way that we just conform our behavior to look... Okay? It's a transforming way to offer your bodies uh, as spiritual acts of worship that every day that we give ourselves. This is another example of what you know, Jesus says to take up your cross daily and follow him. That every day you say, today I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to invite his presence into my life. I'm going to become connected. I'm going to become plugged into the vine. Okay? To the vine. So that, it would, so, the, so that it has the power. These lights that sit over here on the edge right here, if we were to disconnect it from the wall, the source of its power, they would be worthless. They would be no good for anything. Okay? We would throw them away. And when we as believers become disconnected from the source, when every day we're not connected in prayer, reading His Word, inviting His presence into our life to, to have fellowship with us, when we are connecting to who He is, we are powerless. We are effortless. And Jesus says that apart from Him, we can do nothing. And it's no wonder we have a world full of Christians who don't look different than anyone else because they're disconnected from the vine. They're disconnected from the source. And if we truly want to be all that God has called us to be, we've got to plug ourselves into the source. Okay? So the identity that he establishes in us can begin to change us from the inside out. From the inside out. And then it becomes easy to walk in love for one another. It becomes easy to, to accept others, to embrace others, to love others. Imagine, imagine a world where 
We live like that. We're all the believers, all the Christians, all the people live like that. We're connected to the vine. That we prefer one another. Think about just a church, a local church that just prefers one another over themselves. Say, I just, I'm going to prefer people over me today. I'm going to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to love. I'm going to embrace. I'm going to accept. I'm going to invite them in. Imagine, imagine the things that can be done, the, the people that can be reached by becoming connected to the vine more and more and more in our lives. Will you stand to your feet today?